This is your public radio station for more than 37 years, KUAF 91.3 FM, and this is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. I'm Timothy Dennis. And I'm Matthew Moore. We start today's show with a look at renters' rights and evictions in Arkansas. More than 2,800 evictions were filed in state courts between the start of 2022 and the end of May, according to an analysis from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. That number is 45% higher than evictions filed last year during the same period. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith covered a demonstration by a renter's rights group and analyzed the increasing price of rent that contributes to the rising trend. In the Fayetteville-Springdale-Rogers metro area, the region's median rent increased 14 percent since 2019, exceeding the national rate of 12.5 percent. Despite the eviction rates and prices spiraling upwards, Governor Hutchinson rejected $146 million of federal money for rent relief. In his weekly address on May 6th, Hutchinson explained why the state rejected that aid. I thought long and hard about whether to accept all of the federal funds, but I didn't think we should take the money when we already have rental assistance funds available through other programs. It makes no sense to start an absolutely new rental assistance program that would make it too easy for people to accept help rather than improve their job skills. The federal money also came with strings and limited our flexibility in program integrity efforts. Last Thursday, Arkansas Renters United organized a demonstration in front of the Washington County Courthouse against the rejection of the aid and to advocate for renters' rights. I spoke to Billy Cook and Al Allen from Arkansas Renters United about the protests and what they've heard from renters. So the initial reason we were out there was to encourage Governor Hutchinson to accept that $146 million in federal assistance. Uh, That sort of morphed into a larger discussion about priorities here at the county level with them appropriating that $1 million out of the general fund, which could be used for building more affordable housing units or providing rental assistance uh, to our already defunct county program. Uh, And it sort of started – it did begin as a – as a cry against the governor to to make this decision, but it, it turned into a larger uh, a, a larger demonstration at the general frustration and angst that some of the renters are facing around here because there's a it seems like there's a fundamental disconnect between the support we received from the public with the protest versus what our elected officials were doing inside the courthouse. What kind of difference does that funding make um, in terms um, for renters for the community? It's the difference between people being housed and unhoused. It's the difference between, like, children having to worry about, like, uh, where their next meal is coming from or, like, being able to have the privilege to focus on school. You know, the impact is intangible even though the money is tangible. All across the state, there are counties who have been uh, misappropriating these funds and putting uh, families and renters and people who work really hard for what they have uh, to the wayside. Where do you all believe that opposition for accepting this funding primarily comes from? I think part of it is derived from a partisan cause. There are ideological frameworks. Uh, People are resistant to the idea of getting – some people have referred to the rental assistance as welfare, uh, which we know that there are families that would go under if they did not have that assistance. I think also it's – a lack of willingness, I would say, is what is preventing this. Uh, the, the logistics have already been provided by the federal government. The money is there. There's just not a lack of will to, to use it. Because it takes time and care to, like, do this stuff. And it. Uh, this morning I was in a courtroom in Little Rock and I saw um, an unlawful detainer case. And it took about five minutes for this uh, for this woman who had no representation because it's really hard to get representation. Um Whenever you're in a compromised position, uh, you know, she lost her housing in about five minutes. It's a lot easier to do that and issue a writ of possession than it is to go in and try to actually work with people who have been cast to the wayside for years. I'm, especially if I were on a fixed income, I'd be concerned. Um, An increase, what kind of impact would that have on somebody who's on a fixed income? Um, is this issue, who is most being affected by this issue? 
if we're talking about fixed incomes, the largest demographic would probably be Social Security recipients. Um, having been raised by uh, Social Security recipients, I understand how even small changes in the price of goods or the monthly rent could could be devastating. Um, and this will also harm uh, historically impoverished and marginalized communities in northwest Arkansas specifically uh, and across the state. And so even – even small fluctuations in the prices could cause panic in homes and force someone to take a second job or a third job just to make ends meet. What kind of protections exist for Arkansans facing these hard decisions um, in Arkansas? There are little to no protections for renters in Arkansas. Uh, in the breadth of our research, we have seen that uh, almost a very slim minority of unlawful detainer cases ever have a defendant attorney uh, working on behalf of the renters. And that is for a variety of reasons. Some people might not know they need an attorney to defend them. Some people might not have access to legal aid or legal services. Um, and as a result of that, people go unrepresented almost every time and they lose their cases. And the unfortunate thing about representation is that it's not a guarantee that you're going to retain your housing. Um, so even if you do manage to swing it by some literal miracle, I mean, it's like it's like one in a hundred in some counties, like or less, uh, like people who have representation. Um, and so it's e even if you have that miracle on your side, it's not a guarantee that you retain your housing in this state. How long does that eviction process? Like, how much notice do you get beforehand? Um, and in the midst of dealing with, with court proceedings, with landlords, do you have enough time to, to figure out to have somewhere to live? Very, very often not. Um, and, and going back to the rising price of, of, of housing, it is very difficult if you're already having trouble paying your rent in one place to pick up and go to another. That's probably much higher than what you're paying now. Uh, but as, as far as the timeline is concerned, uh, usually your landlord will submit a complaint to you in writing asking you to pay your rent and often they'll threaten to file an unlawful detainer suit with you. And then after the court serves you a summons, you have approximately five days, I believe, to, to file an official answer with the court. And that could be anything from a, a full affidavit from your defendant attorney or sometimes renters will just scribble on a piece of paper, I am contesting this unlawful detainer. And then you have a hearing date that is set, usually within about 30 days, and then you appear in court. Uh, so back when the pandemic was raging, it would be a Zoom hearing. And uh, it, I mean, imagine not having representation, and then you appear in court on Zoom, and then you lose your housing. I'm curious if you've seen an increase of renters interacting with, contacting Arkansas Renters United, especially post-pandemic and with the reality of our economic climate today? Uh, I know the, the frequency of renter contacts to Arkansas Renters United increased almost exponentially during the pandemic, uh, especially when they issued the eviction moratorium. Uh, that caused a lot of problems for, for landlords and renters in Arkansas. Uh, I imagine as time goes on and as budgets continue to thin, we'll probably see more people calling in. Um, I, I would just like to note that uh, it, it, it just boggles the mind that Arkansas remains the only state in the nation where you can be sent to jail for not paying your rent. Uh, luckily, Northwest Arkansas has been spared those failure to vacate cases, uh, I call it the criminalization of poverty. Uh, but you could be put into handcuffs if you can't pay your rent. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke to Billy Cook, a data analyst, and Al Allen, Northwest Arkansas Regional Organizer for Arkansas Renters United, in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio earlier this week. And we'll hear more from Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith in our second half hour when she brings us part two of her conversation with organizers and performers from this year's Her Set, Her Sound Festival, taking place this weekend in Fayetteville. That's later on this Thursday edition of Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, welcoming classic country rock group Nitty Gritty Dirt Band to the auditorium in Eureka Springs this Thursday, June 9th. 
Band hits include Mr. Bojangles, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, House at Pooh Corner, and more. Tickets available online at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large, a new program to help curb opioid overdose deaths launched in Arkansas this week. The Nalox Home Program provides at-risk overdose patients and their families with two free doses of the medication Naloxone, known more commonly by the brand name Narcan. Dr. Joe Thompson is the president and CEO of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, which is spearheading the effort. The program works for an individual that has either uh, presented to the ER with an overdose or potentially had an accident because of uh, drug use. This is an antidote so that if they do come into contact with a high-strength opioid or more commonly now illicit fentanyl, that, and they overdose and they have respiratory depression or may even stop breathing, the naloxone is an antidote. It's a nasal spray. It can easily be administered at home to potentially save the life of a loved one. He says the Unity Health White County Medical Center in Searcy is the first hospital to participate in the program, but will expand to other health facilities later this year. According to numbers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, since 2017, more than 2,300 Arkansans have died from a drug overdose. Thompson says the pandemic only worsened those conditions, with a 45% increase in drug-related deaths from 2019 to 2020. This has been really from two reasons. The COVID pandemic has caused a lot more mental stress, mental duress, and people have unfortunately turned to substances of abuse more frequently. We also have much more potent, illicit fentanyl coming into our state in every community, and so that when people do turn to illicit drugs, they're getting a much more powerful drug, and it tips them over into the overdose situation that we're seeing the numbers rise for. Thompson says the prevalence of the synthetic drug fentanyl in particular affects young people. Those in their teens, 20s, 30s that have addiction issues turning to more illicit drugs and therefore having more overdose events occur. Unfortunately, it's happening down even into our teenage population because the illicit fentanyl that I mentioned earlier is sometimes laced in other drugs that kids may be trying, like Adderall, Xanax, other drugs that are prescription drugs, but they're being used illicitly and have been laced with the narcotic fentanyl. The Nalox Home Program is funded by a $2.3 million grant from the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Walmart will build a hotel as part of its new sprawling corporate campus under construction in Bentonville. The hotel has been part of the campus design since the beginning, and we have reported that fact previously. But earlier this week... The company revealed that it has signed a franchise agreement with Marriott International and will build and own an AC hotel by Marriott. It will be at the corner of 8th and J Streets with five stories, 153 guest rooms, and 6,000 square feet of meeting and event space. While the hotel will predominantly be used by Walmart to house visiting employees and vendors, the property will also be available to the public. Walmart did not provide a cost estimate to build the hotel. It's expected to open in the summer of 2024. Kim Souza has more details about the new development, and you can find her reporting online at nwabusinessjournal.com. There's more news after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create health care solutions for individuals and businesses. Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Live fearless. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. In the wake of the Uvalde school shooting in Texas, 
Arkansas Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, who is the GOP nominee for Attorney General, said he wants more answers about the incident. But, he said, more protection for schools is an area that has common ground. Here's Griffin in a recent interview with Roby Brock. Uh, the issue of school safety has got to be front and center for every school board, every superintendent, every administration, as well as the legislature uh, and other uh, elected leaders. In the sp that specific case, let me talk about that specific case first. Um, we're still trying to get a lot of answers. What answers do we need? Well, answers about the, the perpetrator, okay, who committed these atrocities. How did he gain such easy access to the school? Face no resistance. What, what about the police response there? A lot of questions about that. Why was there the delay? So we got, why do we need to know all that? Why, why, do we, why do we have to know that? Well, because common sense tells you you want to fix whatever didn't go right, okay? So that's, that's part of the process. Um, you want to fix it so it doesn't happen again somewhere else. You want to learn. You want to learn from other experiences. But one thing is clear. Um, so we've got to harden some of these more sensitive targets like schools. What does that mean? Well, we use armed guards to defend banks, courts, celebrities, sporting events, you name it, state capital, armed guards, armed security, whatever you want to call it. We use them in every one of those instances. It's not just in the United States. If you go to Europe and go to events, certain, a lot of these same categories I just mentioned are also guarded there. Okay. This is not just specific. Um, so we do have to do more. Why should the children not be protected in the way those others are? So that's a practical thing we need to talk about. On the issue of gun control, because you hear lots of people talking about that. Let, let me just say this. First of all, lots of laws were broken here. Lots of laws. You can make a list of the laws that were broken here. If you added a few laws to that, I don't think that would have changed anything. But let me let me let me say something about what people are talking about on gun control. Cuz this does not this requires more than a bumper sticker response. So, if you look at the gun control proposals that people are talking about, there are sort of three categories. Number 1, they would not have deterred some of the proposals, the proposal we I'm, I'm hearing would not have deterred these specific crimes. Number two, uh, there are a lot of the proposals that are completely impractical to implement. And number three, there are some proposals that violate uh, the United States Constitution. So I know that they're easy to just pop out there. But if you think it, 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 this is a much more complex issue than, than, than a bumper sticker, some kind of bumper sticker solution, uh -huh. mental health. Let me say this about mental health. Mental health is a huge issue here. It's a huge issue, and, and I, I'll be talking more about it as the year goes on as it relates to uh, our prisons, our criminal justice system here. But the mental health problems, which have been compounded by the pandemic, it's not the cause necessarily, but compounded way heavily in this, and we also have seen a sharp rise of violence by young men in our society. And we've got to, we've got to get to the root of some of these, these mental health issues. Well, and we've play, got to put as to much play attention. devil's advocate with you, let me stop you here. Um, I've let you go long on this. Um, there's other countries around the world that have stricter gun restrictions and mental health issues and have been through the COVID crisis. They don't have these widespread tragedies. This is the argument that comes from those that do want to see more happen to restrict access to guns in some sort of legal and constitutional way. I, I guess my question, address that please. But secondly, I feel like that because this is such a divisive issue um, and we don't have common ground on some of these solutions, we're going to do nothing on this and nothing's going to result in the status quo. My, my bigger question to you is, how do we get past the status quo 
of 50-50 divisiveness on this issue and find mm -hmm. something to do to create a safer environment for kids at schools? Well, first of all, other countries don't have Second Amendment. Other countries have complete confiscation of firearms. Uh, it, it's a completely different situation. It's apples and oranges. But I do think there is common ground. I do think, look, the commonality between folks that attack with knives, folks that attack with guns, folks that attack, is not the weapon. The commonality in many cases is mental health problems gone unaddressed. And we need to spend as much time talking and thinking about mental health as we do physical health. And so I think there is, there ought to be some common ground if people are in good faith uh, to talk about this mental health issue. And that is Arkansas Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, who is now the Republican nominee to be the Arkansas Attorney General. You can watch that full interview online at our sister website, talkbusiness.net. The University of Arkansas's Center for Business and Economic Research hosted its quarterly business luncheon last week in Fayetteville. Economist Mervyn Jebaraj, who is the center's director, said he expects U.S. GDP to rise for the remainder of the year. And that follows a 1.5% decline in the first quarter amid high inflation pressure that might last for two years. Diamond State Networks, a coalition of 13 Arkansas electric cooperatives, is the newest wholesale broadband provider in the state. And its goal is to provide high-speed internet access to 1.25 million rural Arkansans. The Jonesboro-based coalition is co-managed by Mitchell Johnson, president and CEO of Ozarks Electric in Fayetteville, and Jeremiah Sloan, president and CEO of Craighead Electric in Jonesboro. And the educational nonprofit Economics Arkansas has added three people to its board of directors, including Brent Williams, an associate dean in the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. Our best bank executive director, Robin Brashears, is also beginning a two-year term as the group's board chair. Those appointments are effective June 1st. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is a Thursday edition of Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. And I'm Matthew Moore. Timothy, we are here to hear more about upcoming music this weekend. Is that right? That's correct. There's quite a bit going on. Let's start with tomorrow night. Okay. The Cape Brothers, they're reprising one of their regular haunts. They're having a happy hour set at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Yes. Standing on a mountain top, looking down below, That is $10. Gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at George's in downtown Fayetteville. Up in North Fayetteville, JJ's Live is going to have the band Camino on stage. Okay, I like them. They're a pretty big band. Yeah. My mama don't like my tattoos, so I have to act like I do. The only thing that I learned in school is life treats you According to Stubbs, when I checked yesterday, it will likely sell out because they had dubbed it a sellout risk. <laughs> uh, tickets start at $29.50. That will get underway at 7.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. Okay. Another show in Fayetteville tomorrow night. It's going to feature the Magic Tuber String Band, which is a North Carolina-based alternative folk band. Okay. Also on the bill is support from locals Austin Cash and Avery Lee. Mm. This show is presented by Garhole Records at a local DIY space, The Hopout. Uh, if you're interested in going, you can send a DM to the event hosts on Facebook, and you can find a link to that event through Garhole Records' Facebook page. Yes. They're asking for $5 to $20 donation at the door. That'll get underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the DIY space, The Hopout, in Fayetteville. 
Happening up in Rogers tomorrow night, City Pump is going to have Dance Monkey Dance on stage. Okay. He's a regional-based one-man band. That man is Doug Dicary. It's hard for me to find an instrument one I can play That doesn't make my body ache Cause he's mean bones so much pain Maybe I can sneak out the back door Give the bum in the eye. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night again at City Pump in Rogers. Over in Eureka Springs, the Gravel Bar is going to have local folk singer-songwriter Dominic Brian Roy on stage. Okay. I've actually had him in this studio a few years back. Uh-huh. Really great writer. So I chained myself to a tree And I lay down my body by Well, no, I'm not no hippie I'm just not much for I wouldn't mind peace and I want to live in a land that is free. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Got a whole brewing in Eureka Springs is having another songwriter I've had in this room a couple years ago, Candy Lee. Hmm. All my life I wanted to live up in the mountains. In Arkansas I made that part of my dreams come true. With a little house and a pot of land to plant a garden. But my greatest joy of all is sharing my Great local singer-songwriter. If you've never seen her, Matthew, you should. I, I will soon, yes. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night at Got a Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Moving ahead to Saturday. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to welcome back Arkansas. Mm. Good friends of the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'd pick that tune right around the moon and drop it right into the sea. And if every road that I'd ever paved would have led right back to you. But some of them run right around the world and leave me feeling blue. Because I've lived a life of excess. Tickets are $15. That gets underway at 8.30 Saturday night again at George's in Fayetteville. Always put on an entertaining show. I really do. Up at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville, the next installment of the Force Concert Series is going to feature a couple of acts from the Austin area. Kevin, spelled K-V-N, and Jane Mudo. It's part of a celebration of Pride Month that's presented in collaboration with NWA Equality, the House of Songs, and Black Fret. Tickets for the general public are $12. They go down to $10 for members of Crystal Bridges, and youths get in for free. Hmm. That gets underway at about 7 o'clock Saturday night, again in the forest at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville. Back over to Eureka Springs, the Gravel Bar is going to have the Buffalo Gals on their stage. Mm. They're more contemporary, old-time folk music. Yeah. I can't lose my money, cause I don't have a cent. I can't lose my keys, cause I live in a tent. I can't lose what I don't have. And I don't have a honey, so I can't lose my heart. I can't lose what I... That gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday evening again at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. And then let's jump all the way ahead to next Thursday because there are a few earlier shows we'd like to let you know about. Yeah. The Goalie Park Concert Series, Summer Concert Series, is underway. Next week they're going to feature Route 358. Good, nice. Not sure if I should... That gets underway at 7 o'clock next Thursday again at Gully Park in Fayetteville. Up in Bentonville next Thursday, Bike Rack Brewing Company is going to have Puta Coco on stage. Mm-hmm. 
It's her quote-unquote farewell concert because she's leaving the area soon, but she is scheduled to be the performer for our July installment of the Lunch Hour KUA. That's right, So yeah. stay tuned for that. Yes. Uh, the show next Thursday, though, gets underway at 7 o'clock again at Bike Rack Brewing Company in Bentonville. And then finally, next Thursday, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band will be at the auditorium in Eureka Springs. Oh, man. on Pooh Corner, Mr. Bojangles. Yes. You, you a fan of the Dirt Band? Uh, my father-in-law is a huge fan, and I, I mean, how do you not love the Great Dirt Band? Right? Tickets for that start at about $68. That gets underway at 7.30 next Thursday, again at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs. And that should take care of you for the next several days. If not, we have a more complete list at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. Very good. Timothy Dennis, thank you very much. Thank you. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving Northwest Arkansas since 1973 with backcountry and urban footwear, clothing, equipment, and more. Pack Rat is dedicated to conservation and waste reduction. PackRatOC.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. This is Ozarks at Large. Returning to Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville for the second year in a row, the Her Set, Her Sound Music Festival will debut a two-day performance this Friday and Saturday. Her Set, Her Sound is dedicated to creating inclusive spaces and celebrating female and gender-diverse DJs and MCs. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke to more of the headliners from the show, including DJ Dribbles, DJ Catastrophe, and DJ Susie Q, about how they feel going into the second year and their favorite moments from last year's event what took me back was or i was taken back by like just the the sheer amount of energy that was in there like so like you could feel it how good like the good vibe just hitting you kind of um i think i i recognized it seeing raquel perform um as i'm getting ready to perform and i'm just listening to her set and i'm watching the guys work production i'm like just back there and I'm just like watching the crowd, watching her, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> this is so cool. Like, it was just, it, it was just a, a really good um, feeling to be a part of it. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was that. Are there any like moments or memories that kind of stood out to you, or that like you have in the back of your mind that kept with you? I, w- I would say, uh, sorry, again, <laughs> um, it was my, it was the first time my parents had ever come see me play. So getting to see their reaction and also my six-year-old niece's reaction to me on stage um, and getting to call that out, like being able to be like, hey, my parents are here. Like that was a really special moment for me. What so. did they say? What was their like reaction they on were, their faces? So I did a, a mashup of a, of a, their song when they were dating um, I did, uh, it's called it, it, Old, Old Song by Jose Jose and Jose. yeah, <laughs> yes. Thank you. So you know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, and I told them, I was like, Hey, it's their first show even, you know, they'd never gone to anything like that. So like me getting to see their reaction and they were just like, Oh my gosh, they started dancing and, um, and getting to see my niece and like having, you know, getting to pull her up on stage. So that was like really I'll I'll never forget that. Like that'll stay with me forever. How did you get into DJing? Was it you know, you know what? I'll try it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think mine came out of survival. Um, I was working at a bank. I had been there for seven years. I had just graduated college, um, and I was being let go from my position, and I was freaking out. I had a mortgage, you know, like. Um, but a couple of weeks earlier, I had met um, Anna from Dance Enhance, who's um, she has a local um, entertainment company here. She's been in business for 15 years. And she saw me at this Christmas party like long time ago, handed me her. She creeped me out at first. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't. I don't um, so she handed me her card and she's like, I love your energy. You know, do you DJ at all? I was like, nah, no, I'm just kind of like the unofficial DJ at like my friends' houses or whatever. And they're like, how would you like to get paid to party? And I was like, what? 
<laughs> say what? Wait, hey, hang on, say that again. <laughs> um, and she's like, well, whenever you're ready, just call me. And so the day I get let go, I'm like going through my closet, trying to sell stuff, like trying to make ends meet. And I find the blazer that I was wearing that night and her card was in it. And I look at it and I'm just like, dun, dun, dun. Like, <laughs> you know, and um, I called her. She said, hey, she was really excited to hear from me. And I was like, look, boo-boo needs a job. I, I need something. And she's like, your first gig's on Friday. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> she's like, you're not going to be by yourself. Um, and my first gig, believe it or not, was a father-daughter dance at the Fable Country Club. Um, Frozen had just come out. So Let It Go was like the most popular request. I played it probably like 17 times that night. Uh, oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was, I was like, oh my gosh, thinking, I did not sign up for this. Like, I didn't. And uh, she pulled me off, she pulled me aside after and she's like, I know you didn't sign up for this. And she's like, but sometimes we have to do the things we don't want to do in order to do the things we like and love to do. And so I was like, Okay, this was February. Flash forward to June and shareholders week. This was 2014, I believe, or 15. And uh yeah, I'm driving up to Bentonville. They're like, "Hey, you're uh don't 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 drive all the way up to Bentonville. We got a call this morning." I'm like, "Okay, well, what's what's the job? Like if you're switching me." She said, "Monster Energy drink called and uh their DJ's sick, so we they need a DJ." And so I was like, Stop. You you had me at Monster. <laughs> <laughs> so I show up, and they loved me, and flash forward again eight, uh, eight years later, and they're still I'm, – I'm sponsored through them now. So it's been kind of a wild journey. And then finding her brain over here, uh, Robin came – like she reached out and started talking about, hey, I'm trying to do this article about female DJs in the area. And I was like, she's like, but I feel like that's not enough. Like, I feel like people need to see you guys, and I want to make that happen. And I was like, girl, when and where? Like, just <laughs> tell me. I'm right, I'm behind you 100%. I'm not, I'm not doing it for money. I just, like, I want, you know, I want to be a part of it, so. Was it, was it similar um, for you both, or was it, you know, more, did it, did it happen differently? And have you done other shows and lineups Mine's before? so different, because I am a radio DJ, so... I'm a student at the U of A, and I know that I like knew they had like opportunities for you to go on and have your own show and play music and stuff. I was just like, eh, seems difficult. Couldn't be me. And then like I always talked to my friend about music, and she has her own show, and she was like, "Cat, you got to get a show." And I was like, "I know, but I just." I just could not see myself. I could see myself doing it, but I don't know. It just seemed like such a hard position to get. And I was like, you know what? If I fail, I fail. So I signed the little application, did my little qualifications, told them a bit about myself and why I wanted to do it. And then this year, I finally got my own show. Yeah. On KXUA? Yes. 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 What's your show? It's Catastrophe, but I spell it K-A-T, like my name, every Sunday at 4. So, What does it feel like to be part of a, a set, part of a lineup that is so unique, like her set, her sound? so fun like you can tell people like I'm part of that like we're making history this is history I see this being something history like as big as Coachella like people as big as Coachella people are gonna fly down hotels booked everywhere like and to be able to be in the early realm of this is everything. How does it compare to previous lineups um, that you've been a part of? I mean, have you been usually with other other female, inclusive, you know, different gender queer lineups? I feel like it sticks out a lot. Like, you know, DJing being such a male-dominated industry and, you know, even, you know, even trying to get into the club scene here in Fayetteville is kind of difficult because it's all dudes, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, I think 95 percent of us on the Her Set Her Sound lineup are 
queer BIPOC, you know? So that, to me, just screams, like authenticity because you know queer BIPOC people just you know we're we're just authentic we spend our whole lives being that and there's no faking in us so I feel like people can see that and they're like I like this vibe Mm -hmm. I want to be part of it I want to be here so uh, that's what sticks out to me like just being able and then just just seeing queer people of color just like around everywhere I just yeah, it's great. What kind of challenges exist when entering or being part of the music scene? And there's a little twist to this question. What do you think gives you an advantage mm. in this oh. scene? Susie Q, I saw some, I saw some wheels turning. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I I feel like you know I, my the the music that I play is no one's playing that out here. Is basically it so that I feel like that's my advantage I feel like you see it in coastal cities so I do play a lot of like electronic music is my forte but I also like to mix in some Latinx um, older songs you know kind of the classics um, like Jose Jose Mana um, just any I don't know that I've ever heard that Man- a, you've never heard of Mana oh man no 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 I've never heard that in a set oh okay I'm going so, out um <laughs> That was probably one of the bigger hits uh, at last year's show um, for her her sound and everybody just the crowd reaction was awesome. Um, but that's what gives me the event. The, the difficult thing out here is is like not every bar wants to hear electronic music. There's only one bar in Fayetteville that plays electronic music whenever they're open, and that's Weston Watson. Shout out to Weston Watson. Um, uh, they have a collective over there. You know, they have a lot of the people over there are, are DJs too. They're all immersed in electronic EDM culture, rave culture, which I am a proud member of. <laughs> um, but it, it's been difficult because it is all male. Like there are very few, even when big artists come to uh, the bigger venues here, um, you know, they get chosen through that collective. And it's awesome because I get to see my friends play and open for a big star. But it's like, when are we going to get that chance? Um, And it's very far in between, you know. So uh, to be able to like be like, okay, you're not going to give us a chance. We're making our own. You know, we're doing our own thing. Um, And just being a part of that, that's that's it's also gives us an advantage too because then they're going to see that and they're going to be like wow we should have jumped on this too you know (laughs) for the DJs I'm curious right we have this like physical space of the audience and and that kind of point of view of it's inclusive and and right we're seeing more people that that look like us in the crowd but what is the working environment like right you know dealing um, in the ordinary and the you know okay well when I'm you know talking with with Rob and other other operations and logistical people that now look like you, what, how how does that feel? What is that experience like? Well, at my station, I'm at the University of Arkansas, so it is majority white, and I'm happy to have the platform I have there because you don't see a lot of people that look like me on campus. So when you don't see a lot of people that look like me on campus, you go to these things and these programs and opportunities, and you definitely don't see a lot of people like me in those realms. So I'm hoping there's somebody out there, whether they're future student, past student, or just a student now, it's like, she can do that. I want to get into that. Even if it isn't like radio or DJing, even just putting them in the mindset of being comfortable to join something. Cause I feel like I tell people like, sometimes I've got to be the one to like get in there and I'll be that person to get in there and to make other people comfortable to get in there. And then it opens up for everybody. So you'll see a little bit of everyone and everything. And then it's inclusive. Mm-hmm. So working with her set, her sound, it's just like, okay, y'all get me like, these are my people. It's some someone that looks like me or can relate to me. So it is a difference. And I really do enjoy the station I'm at now. And it's like not bad. It's just like not many people like me, but coming here and getting to talk to people with the same experiences and mindset. It's just like good to like let out and know like you get this, you know, like work hard. You understand. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke to DJ Catastrophe, DJ Suzy Q, and DJ Dribbles about her set, her sound in the Furman Garner Performance Studio last week. 
Her set, Her Sound, will be at Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville tomorrow and Saturday. Tickets available at hersethersound.com. This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Painter. We open Sound Painter today with Florence Price Symphony No. 3 in C minor, Movement 3, Yuba. This version is a preview of a brand new recording with the Vienna Radio Symphony, conducted by our own Arkansas-based John Jeter, Fort Smith Symphony Music Director and Conductor. This upcoming recording is the second volume of Florence Price's complete orchestral works and an addition to John Jeter's history of international recordings on Naxos, the world's largest classical recording company. Florence Price, born in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1887, is remembered as the first African-American woman to be recognized as a major composer in our world of classical music. She composed numerous works, including four symphonies, four concertos or pieces for a soloist and orchestra, choral works, art songs, and music for small ensembles and solo instruments. What we just heard was an excerpt from Yuba, the third movement of Price's Symphony No. 3 in C minor, with the Vienna Radio Symphony under the baton of our own Arkansas-based John Jeter, Fort Smith Symphony Music Director and Conductor. And it was a preview of an access upcoming recording of Florence Price's orchestral works. Expect this release in early November and more on this recording soon on Ozarks at Large. George Walker was an American composer, pianist, and organist who was the first African-American to have won the Pulitzer Prize for music. He wrote lyric for strings in 1946 and originally titled it Lament. It was dedicated to the memory of his grandmother. Let us listen to an excerpt from this beautiful piece and its passionate melodies interpreted by the Son Sonora String Quartet.
That was an excerpt from African-American composer George Walker's lyric for strings. Walker was born in Washington, D.C. in 1922 and had a career in music as a performer, composer, and educator. Walker continued actively writing music until his death in 2018. Today, we are celebrating the voices of African-American composers that have documented the history of the United States in and with their music. We close on Penimeter today with composer Keiru Okoye, born in New York in 1972, and her piece, Voices Shouting Out, performed by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Thomas Wilkins. Okoye says of her piece, quote, I sat to write voices in the wake of September 11th. However, in my grieving process, I failed to find music within. It was as thought as my muse crumbled with our twin towers. In the end, rather than crying out, my official response was voices shouting out in freedom as it were through the music. It was a march to acknowledge those fighting on behalf of our safety and yet a sparkling celebration of life for those of us who continue living. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with a sound perimeter. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vista, and Moffat, Oklahoma. 91.3 FM, KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. I'm Timothy Dennis. And I'm Matthew Moore. Contributors to this Thursday's show included Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Daniel Carruth. And Leah Uribe brings us Sound Perimeter every Thursday on this program. The Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report with Paul Gatt is produced by Stephanie Brock and comes to us through our partnership with Talk Business and Politics. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. for a brand new Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. Don't forget, you can always find past stories, interviews, and full episodes of Ozarks at Large at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. Until tomorrow's show, please be well, stay cool and dry, and we'll talk again soon.